Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. All right, while they are coming up, um, I want to I jump right into it, but I, I feel the need to say something right now. Um, I'm looking out here. Let's see, one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight. In this in this group here, I think there are more non-members than members right now. Okay, uh, so I need to reinstate something that we used to say all the time here at Edgewood. Um, we used to joke about this, but it was really true. If you've been here twice. We think of you as one of us at that point. Okay, so what you, what you can't do, okay, it just, it just won't work. You, you can't pop in. What? Well, we've opened it to once because times are hard. Times are hard, once. <laughs> you show up once, you're one of us. Um, that's how we think of it. Okay, so first time, you're one of us, sorry. Um, if, <clears throat> what you can't do, you can't, Go, and, and, and I don't want anybody ever to leave. We kind of talked about this this morning during our business meeting, but you can't ever leave and go, well, they just didn't say. Any. I'm telling you what, there might, you, you may have only been here a couple times. You might be a, more of a veteran of this church than other people in here. I'm just telling you right now. If you've been here a few times, you've probably been here as much as about anybody else has, okay? Except for the, us old timers, right? Uh, so I don't want to see anybody. I'm... I have a t-shirt that said, don't make me use my pastor voice. I should have worn it today. I don't want to see anybody bolting it out the door. You got it? No bolting. Okay? I see some of you. I go, you are dismissed. And as the d and the end of the dismissed happens, you're like, <laughs> okay? That's got to stop. Give us a second. Us old timers are slow. We probably want to come over and say hi to you, but we just can't move that fast. Okay? Just had to say that. Okay. Um, I'm only half joking. If you've been here a couple times, we actually do think of you as one of us. <laughs> We're like, oh, they're one of ours. Okay. Um, okay. The passage I have this week, I'm really excited about it, actually. I got more excited. The more we talked, through praise and testimony time, the more excited I got about it because I, I can tell there's a, a few of you had a, had a tough week this week. And so I, I'm so excited because this is a completely encouraging sermon. Okay? I'm not going to bash you on the head with anything this week. Okay? This is good stuff. Now, in fact, you've most likely heard the passage I'm preaching on at some point in your life, but not in this situation. In fact, I've preached on this particular passage of Scripture multiple times, but never in this situation. The pa- I don't have a clicker. Oh, no. Where's it at? Tragedy averted. Oh, there we go. Oh, you were clicking for me anyway, weren't you? Maybe? No? I don't know. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. I want to start by reading through it. I'm going to put it up there so you can look at it while I'm reading through it. Let your mind kind of soak in it. It'll be very familiar to you. Um, It's a passage that you've most likely heard 
during a funeral service. I've used this during a funeral service multiple times. But because we're preaching through Scripture, this is where I'm at. This is the next thing that's up. Okay, so this gives me an opportunity to, to look at this, not just in that setting, but in a setting outside of that. So I'm going to read through this passage, verses 13 through 18. I'm going to have it up there. Then we're going to come back through and do some commentary on it. And then we'll hit on one main point. So let's read this together. Um, in fact, I'm going to do something right now. Each verse, I'm going to read, and I'm going to stop before I get to the last two words. And I want you to say the last two words of each verse. Okay? Can you do that? I mean, you've got to pay attention, right? Okay. Here we go. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with Therefore, encourage one another with Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you, God, for this passage of Scripture, and I pray that it would be encouraging to us as we read through it. I ask for your wisdom as I expound on these thoughts, and I just pray that you would guide and direct every word that is spoken today. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so let's hop back to verse 13. Paul says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Then we have the purpose here for this. That you may not grieve, but it does not say not grieve, period. I've often said in a funeral service, I'm so glad the verse doesn't end there, that you may not grieve, period. It specifically says that you may not grieve as others. So there's grieving that you can do, but it's not the same type of grieving. Not the same type of grieving as who? Those who have what? No hope, right? No hope. There are those who have no hope. That's not you. And the way that you grieve ought not to be the same. That's Paul's purpose with this passage. That he does the Thessalonians. He says, I don't want you to grieve the same way as those who have no hope. Don't forget that at one time you had no hope. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ before you came to Christ. You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Sometimes we forget that. But that is us. There was at one time we had no hope, and we were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, so important, each and every one of these words. But now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so Paul is paving a way for where this hope can come from. 
He's going to tell us next why this thought ought to give us hope. Listen to this next verse. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. Some of you have heard this passage so many times that it's going to be very familiar to you. You've probably heard it at the graveside. That's usually where I've preached it. I've, this is the, what I've read at the graveside. So you have the service in there. Honestly, when I became a pastor, I never thought about that part of what being a pastor was. And then people started saying, hey, can you do this funeral? And I'm thinking, the first time I did, I was thinking, no. <laughs> but you can't say that, you know. You're, you know you, what are you going to say? No, I'm not a pastor. And you're like, wait, I am a pastor. So I guess I... I but then I... And, and I, had, I had said, when I started here, I'd said, Lord, if there's an opportunity to speak the word, God, I, I don't want to ever back down. And so I, I've tried to, as much as I humanly possible, to always say yes. And so I've had some people that have called me. I didn't even know them, said, could you come preach this funeral? And I said, all right. Now, you guys, know, you guys have met me, right? I'm a bit of an introvert. Is that out of my comfort zone? Yeah, I mean, it's been, that was one of the biggest challenges I've had to face as a pastor is going into these situations and preaching in these, these situations, but I don't regret a, a single time of it. But this passage of Scripture is so, so important. There's so many things in here. I could spend weeks on this passage, but I want to, there's, there's a big idea, okay? I just had to pause to make sure you're, you're right with me. Think about what is said here in verse 14. I'm going to go to verse 14. It says this. For since, so Paul's going to now explain why this ought to be hope, okay? why you ought to have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, I want you to think about the sheer logic of what he's saying. I also want you to think about the power of something that's actually true, not just what I think is true, or I know, let's be honest, in our world today, People go, that's my truth. I'm not talking about your truth. I'm talking about what's actually true. What's reality? Jesus, while he was on this earth, I'll tell you a little story, just give you an example. This time, you probably have heard this, there was this friend of Jesus. His name was Lazarus. You guys know this story? Okay. What happened to Lazarus? He died, right? He was, and Jesus wasn't in town when it happened. He was you know, a good distance away. It took him, by the time he got to the town where Lazarus was at, Lazarus had been dead for four days, okay? Jesus then, at the funeral service, which, if you enter into the story, this is a really cool story, okay? Uh, entering into, here he is, in the at the funeral service, it's not like here, like for them it would last for a few days and they had people over, kind of like us, you know, I'm sure there was casseroles being made, and uh, so, but they're there, and Jesus goes up to Martha, um, Lazarus's sister, and he, he says to her, and I've heard people say this at funerals, do you believe in the resurrection? Why? Why would somebody say that at a funeral? Do you believe in the resurrection? Why? I mean, inspire hope, right? Like, are you trying to think beyond? And Martha says, of course, I do. I, I think that I, I've done enough funerals now. Every, I'm telling you, 99% of the people out there, if you said, do you believe in a resurrection? They'd say, yeah. And so they, they, there's some version of that that they believe in. Okay? Jesus says, you believe in the resurrection? He, she says, I do. But then Jesus says something very, very important. He says this to her. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That's some pretty powerful, I mean, that's pretty, if, 
You're not actually the resurrection. That's pretty arrogant or nuts, right? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Either Jesus was crazy. What if he's telling the truth? I mean, if that's, if that's real. In fact, what does he do right after this? He goes to the tomb and he shouts to dead Lazarus in the tomb. And you guys have heard me talk about that. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go full on. You guys know what happens when I start talking about the raising of Lazarus because I get to thinking about, uh, I mean, my mind, I'm a math teacher, right? So I start thinking about some like weird, like those cells that were broken down. Like, like when he said, when he said, Lazarus, come out. And we think of him getting out. I mean, that's, that's not just the body got up. And we're not talking about the walking dead here, right? I mean, he, he was decomposing. And Jesus spoke life into him. And then I, I even think about, well, the, the, the order of events. His dead ears couldn't hear Jesus say, come out. So Jesus must have, in the, in the saying of come out, must have lifed Lazarus, if that's a word, to hear it, to even hear it. And then he heard it and he obeyed. He couldn't obey if Jesus hadn't said it. And said it with power and authority. But then Jesus goes beyond that. Now think about anybody else on the planet. Anybody could get up and say, I'm the res- I just said it a minute ago, reading it. I can say I'm the resurrection and the life. Who, who the flip cares? But Jesus, this one human in all of history, not too long after this event, was executed by a horrible method, a Roman crucifixion. And they didn't check to see if he was dead by, the Roman soldier didn't climb up a ladder and go like this, yeah, he's dead. That's not how they checked. You guys know how he checked? Some of you, I know some of you know. It took a spear. I'm really glad this is not how we check to see if people are dead at this point. He took a spear, Roman soldier took a spear and shoved it through the rib cage up into the, where the heart is at. He was dead. And they put him in a tomb. Now he had said before it happened, he said, because he was saying things like this, he had said, I'm going to die. He told his disciples. His disciples didn't believe him. They're like, yeah, you're not going to die. No, I'm going to. No, you're not. Jesus, stop saying that. That's silly. And he did. They were like, what are we going to do? But he kept saying what? I'm going to die. I'm going to come back. And this one human being in all of history died and came back of his own accord. So when he says something like this, you go, I should take note. Can you agree with that? I was going to say that. I was going to say, can I get an amen? So, so when, let's go back to the, the verse. What's Paul saying? There, there's there's, there's a, a real, pure, I love it kind of logic happening in this verse. Paul says, for since... Jesus died and rose, since that is a true historical event, and we're, we're banking everything on his teachings, because he did that, even so, God will bring, through Jesus, God will bring him, with him those who have fallen asleep. 
Paul doesn't have a problem calling them those who are dead. He's going to use that a little bit. But I, I love that he a couple times has already referred to those in Christ as those who are asleep. At a funeral especially, I found great comfort in being able to say that to different people in their, their grief. Their, this person, especially when I'm looking at somebody and I go, I know they were in Christ. They are truly at rest. But we're talking about, don't forget, we're talking about an actual resurrection here. Like I said, not the walking dead, not Frankenstein. We're talking about Jesus was resurrected. He could touch things. He had had hands, actual hands. He he talks to Thomas. What's he say? Tell Thomas, you want want to look at the scars? Let your mind chew on that for a minute. You want to to look? And Thomas like, I don't need need to touch. I, I believe you. He had ears. He could hear things with ears. He had eardrums. He talked to people, and and he heard them. We're not talking about wispy up in the, ooh, there they are, the afterlife, plucking a harp, right? We're not talking about, Jesus was here. He, He had a mouth. He talked. He could taste things. And my favorite thing, he, in his resurrected state, had a fish fry on the Sea of Galilee. When his disciples were out on the ocean, they saw him, and that's great stories, and Peter jumping off the boat and trying to run to him, and all kinds of crazy stuff. But they get up there, and the Bible says he's, he had some fish already, and he was cooking them up. And he ate with them. So, so we're not talking about a Jesus that was like some kind of apparition or a ghost. We're talking about... He was real. Now, there's some other things he could do that gets my mind like whirling. Like, there's amazing, because it seemed like he could like pop in and pop out whenever he wanted. And they'd be like, how did he get in here? The door was shut. I don't know about all that stuff. But what I do know for sure is he was resurrected. And we, as Christians, and I know, I know that even though this is not a funeral, I know that all of you have someone that you love that's gone. And I want you to know if they are in Christ, there's going to be a resurrection. It'll be them again. And you'll be able to touch that hand. I've missed you, right? Kiss him on the cheek. I've missed you. Hug. I've missed you. We're talking about a physical body that they will have again. Do you believe that? There is hope. In the same way that Jesus was dead and came back, in that same way, God will be bringing with him those who have died in Christ. And so we call it right now, if you, if you came up to me after and you said, could you explain to me the middle between now and then. I don't know if I fully understand that, but I know that when they speak of it, those people that understood it, they speak of it, they speak of it as sleep. Those who are asleep. I take great comfort in that. Now, the Thessalonians' concern was beyond that, a step beyond that. They had heard a little bit about the fact that Christ was coming back. I need to talk about that in just a second, but Jesus is coming back. And the Thessalonians' specific 
concern was, okay, Jesus is coming back, and we're going to talk about it in a second. They, they were like, oh, he's coming back. And they knew it was going to be grand and glorious and triumphant. And one of the concerns that the Thessalonians had was not just, will they be resurrected? But they were hoping maybe we'll be there for that. But those who have died, are they going to miss out on that? Honestly, that was one of their side concerns was, the, the people that have died, are they going to miss out on that part? Are they going to miss out on the triumphant element? And so listen, I want you to hear what Paul digs into next as he's instilling hope into them. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, Paul saying, not my own teaching, from, from the Lord himself, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. But it's not going to happen before. So if you're still alive when Christ returns, you're not, you're going, to get, you're not going to show up beforehand. In fact, he says this, Lord himself will descend from heaven with the uh, pipe. John Piper says this is the, loud, the, the noisiest verse in the Bible. Let me read it for you. He says, For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Cry of command, voice of an archangel, sound of the trumpet of God. Whether you die before that happens or not, nobody is going to miss out on this event. That's what Paul's saying right here. If you're in Christ, you will experience this future event. It's pretty cool, isn't it? That's, I, I can't wait. I'm kind of like, oh gosh, I, see, I get so profound, honey, and then I, I veer off course and I sound like a goofball. I, I get, you guys ever seen the movie Elf? Remember when the elf is like, Santa's coming? And he gets so, Santa's coming! I get like that sometimes about Jesus coming. He's coming back! I think we should be that way, shouldn't we? He's, he's coming! I mean, and we're going to get to see it. You don't ever have to worry, like, am I going to miss that? If you were in Christ, you were not going to miss that. That was Paul is teaching. And I know some of you are like, well, how's that all going to happen? But what about, what about, okay, maybe none of you have ever thought this. I know that Charity and I have thought this because we've talked about this. What about the people that got, like, through history? What about the ones that were burned at the stake? What about the ones that died so long ago they're dust now? Or like Piper mentioned, what about the ones that got eaten by fish, and those fish were eaten by other fish, and then those fish got eaten by other fish? I don't know. I don't know. I know that God in the beginning created man out of the dust of the ground. I believe that if he says he's going to do it, it's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to work, what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to happen, and it's going to happen fast. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, that the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. Ooh, Imperishable. No more sickness. I was assuming my father-in-law father would be here today and I'd say no more rheumatoid arthritis. No more glasses or contacts. No more lumps that need to be removed. Right? 
No more knees that ache when it rains or when it doesn't rain. How's that work? I don't know. No more implants. They'll be gone. No more braces or canes or wraps. No more Tylenol or ibuprofen or naproxen needed. No more dependencies or addictions. Like I said, I was hoping my father-in-law would be here today because I was going to say, and no more hearing aids. And then, of course, I have to tell you the joke. I was going to then go, I said no more hearing aids. That would have been good, wouldn't it? Because he would have responded just right. He would have like, what? Okay. Man. Ah, perfect joke. But it's true. Think about it. All the ailments gone. No more aging or breaking down or getting old. Incorruptible, imperishable. And if we're still alive when this all happens, obviously we get to be a part of it too, like that, immediate. Back to verse 17 in 1 Thessalonians, and we who are alive, who are left, we caught up, snatched up, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I want to point out something very important about this meeting here that it's talking about, where it says to meet. Um, that's actually a noun. It says we caught in the clouds for a meeting is literally what it's saying. Um, this Greek word is used outside of the New Testament to refer to when a, an emperor or a dignitary would be approaching a city. And the emperor was coming. This word meeting was always used if you, had, if you sent out a delegation from the town to meet the emperor on his way into the city. Right? This word is used two other times in the New Testament. One of them, one of them is in Matthew chapter 25, verse 6, where it's, Jesus is telling the story of this parable of a wedding feast. And there's these young ladies that are getting ready for the part of the wedding party, and some of them are ready and some are not. And I, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but at the end, the ones who are ready, it says they go out to meet the bridegroom. For what purpose? To meet him, and then what do they do after they meet? Come back in. The other time it's used is in Acts chapter 28, where Paul is almost in the city of Rome. As he's headed to Rome, he's, just out, he's actually at a place called the Three Taverns. I don't know where that's at, but it was just outside of Rome. They all knew where it was at, and they're like, okay. And, they, and the brothers, it says, from Rome, the other believers in Rome, they, they go out to meet Paul. Same Greek word again. They go out to meet him, and then to do what? Then come in. Here we have the third time that this happens in this verse right here. We're going to go to meet for what purpose? Here. I don't care what your eschatology is. Eschatology is the study of end times. I'm going to tell you right now. Here's what I know for sure. At this resurrection, from that point forward, I will never be separate from the Lord. That's what it says. And that point forward. Now, I want to emphasize two words here that in funeral services, I love to point out. Know that for those of you in this room, you got those that you're thinking about, love to point out. I love those two words right there. Talk about reunion. I don't think it's accident that Paul threw those two words in there. With them together. Not just with the Lord, but with them. Those ones 
that you miss that are in Christ. Paul ends, verse 18, Therefore encourage one another with these words, and I've done this many times as a pastor at a funeral service. I've, I've, I've taken this to heart and I've said, this is, these are the words that I want. If there's any encouragement I have, it's these words. But now, we're not done here. Before we're done, before I move on, I don't want you to lose this encouraging element, but I want you to think about one particular part. Let me go back to verse 13. There's one element that we must not ignore. And it's the element that is the most difficult thing that I've experienced as a pastor in a funeral service when I don't know. Paul said this here, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no There are those in this world without hope. One of the commentaries that I read spent a significant amount of time dealing with how the people of Paul's day dealt with death. It was super interesting. I was just fascinated by this particular portion. They had a philosophy that actually sounds a lot similar to what I would say. Like if I go out in this world and I talk to most people, I would say most people have some type of view that there's something, whether it's they'll live on in my memories or, or they'll uh, they, they kind of, there's this kind of this, everybody kind of goes to this better, it'll be better, it's better for them. No matter, no matter what is going on in this world, so many people are like, it's better. The Bible does not teach that there is hope for all. This is one of the hardest truths in the Bible for me to share. We can't ignore it. Even in this passage, we don't want you to grieve as others do who have no hope. There are people who don't have hope and they're going to grieve in a very different way. I think there's a bit of a, a false hope. There was that philosophy that was in Paul's day. Most of them believed in some version of immortality, like you die and then you go on. But what was fascinating is it's the same thing back then is happening now, they had that philosophy, and so if you were to ask people, what do you believe? Most of them would have said this. But then you get, there's all these ancient writings of different people, how they were actually dealing with death. And you find that they were much more distraught. Because I'm telling you right now, if it's not true hope based on reality in Christ, then it's not real hope. And false hope does not change your grieving. And I've seen many people at funerals that try to give themselves hope, and it's based on something false. There's been many that have said, well, he was a pretty good guy. That's, that's, that's not real hope. And I've seen people break under the strain of that false hope. They want to, no, it'll be okay. But they know somewhere in the back of their head, I believe because it's true, they know this, my hope is full of holes. Leaky hope. I try to be confident. It doesn't hold up or anything. Let me share with you a few of the writings from Paul's day. This first one I want to share with you is from somebody. I have no idea who these people are. They're different Greek people from Paul's time period that were not Christians. That we've, they found these writings and they go. It was from this. So this first one is from somebody named Irene. 
to somebody named Tenophorus and Philo. They were in mourning. Tenophorus and Philo were in mourning over someone who died. And Irene writes, I am sorry to weep over the departed one as I wept for Didymus. But nevertheless, against such things, one can do nothing. Just comfort one another. And I, I read that and I thought, that is so like us today, is it not? Would you agree with that or am I nuts? Well, okay, maybe nuts, but would you agree with that? Just, you gotta, you gotta get, you gotta just, you gotta, you can't do anything about it. You just gotta comfort each other. You just gotta make it through. How about this one? There's, this one's from a man named uh, Antipater, who was from Thessalonica. Um, when told, he believed in astrology. A lot of them believed in astrology. They believed the stars were, he, he believed the stars were telling him that he was gonna die soon. He wrote this. He says, the, the experts in astrology tell a, Tell of an early death for me. Though it be so, I care nothing for that, Seleucius. So he's writing to this person, Seleucius. All men have the same way, down to Hades. If mine is quicker than others, I should be face to face with Minos the sooner. Now, have you heard somebody say that one? As, have you heard somebody say something along those lines as a means of comfort? Uh, think of Hades as death or even hell. I've heard people even use hell as an element of comfort. Have you heard that? Some of you are like, I'm not, no, think about it. Like, well, at least all my buds will be there. And, and they use it. They're trying to build some element. Like, it won't be that bad. Another man named Philip, also from Thessalonica, not the Philip from the Bible, um, reflecting on somebody that um, he, he had, had died at sea and the, the body had washed up to shore. So he's writing about this event that happened in his life. He says, uh, see on this beach, this body of a man, all unfortunate with scattered limbs washed forth from the sea beaten rocks. This man in many parts was once a whole. Happier those who saw not the sunlight after the birth pains. Empty. Where's the hope? That same Philip, he wrote in a different place about a man, uh, we don't know his name, but it was, he was the father of somebody named uh, Agathanor. Um, and this man was a stonemason. And so Philip, upon viewing a stone for a, a gravestone of this, his own child, um, it said this. He said, this sorrowful gravestone, not cut by the iron, but worn by floods of fast falling tears. But I don't want you to miss, but what I, when I'm reading these things, I was reading this going, I, I hear in it echoes of what I hear with many today trying to bring some measure of comfort to death. Some measure of comfort, and I'm going, it's, it's empty without Christ. Uh, Theocritus, another philosopher from that time period, he said this. He said, hopes are for the living, but the ones who die are without hope. And then one that struck me the, the, the most, that this, next, this has been an inscription that they found in Greek and in Latin in multiple places. So we don't know the author. It just was found, it must have been a saying um, says, I was not, I was, I am not, I care not. I was, and I'm not, who cares? It's sad, isn't it? But I heard in that, you know, I, I've done a lot of funerals, not as many as some. It's coming waves, I haven't done any for a while. But I will tell you that the typical person out there that I meet, there, there's, there's a lot of hope, but there's a lot of false hope that I hear from people. A lot of false hope. It's hope that's based on wishes and dreams. And a false hope really plays out like no hope at all. 
I've known people that played death, death off as if they weren't worried about it at all. You could tell in their voice. I'm like, I'm sitting there listening to them. Like, I know they're, I know that they don't even believe what they're saying. And it breaks down when they face it. You want to hear a modern piece of poetry on the same thing that actually reminded me of going to Hades and Minos? I'm going to quote somebody that you never thought you'd hear quoted in church. But I, I think it's a valid, important statement. Um, just tell you, it's ACDC. You've probably heard this song. Think about what he's saying. Living easy, living free, season ticket on a one-way ride, asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme, ain't nothing I would rather do, going down, party time, my friends are going to be there too. And you know the chorus, right? I'm on a highway to hell. But, but I don't want you to miss something, don't, I don't want you to ignore something in, in those words. This guy is grasping at hope in hell. Right? That's appalling to my soul. Now, no judgment. I'm sorry, Mom. I used to sing this blaring on the radio. Don't you even smile at me, Ashley. No stop signs. Speed limit. Nobody's going to slow me down like a wheel going to spin it. Nobody's going to mess me around. Hey, Satan, paid my dues, playing in a rock band. Hey, mama, look at me. I'm on my way to the promised land. I think there are many here in our world today that are basing hope on something that ought not to be hope. But I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters in Christ, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. I'm going to read through this one more time, and then I'm going to pray. I want to read from verse 13 to verse 18. Actually, I'm going to go to, I think I got a blank screen here for you. Yeah. Um, so while I'm reading, if you guys want to go ahead up, I got a song for you. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always... Be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that this would be an encouragement to us. If nothing else, to put our 
hope, all of it, in what you did on the cross for us. If there is a resurrection for us that leads to life, then it is only to be found through you. But Lord, let us, if we've put our hope in that, let us not grieve the same way as those who do not have hope. I pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen.